שלב אחד אני... אני חליתי באנגינה. One day I got sick with angina. My sister's husband offered to go to work instead of me. On the way back, he was stopped at the gate by the Nazi Franz Mürer. He was beaten badly in the head near the ear. They took him to the hospital, and there he died. My sister was very sick after that and refused all help. She completely broke down. His family took care of her. They had a large family and lived in a tiny apartment. She had her own corner, a metal bed with a mattress and a blanket and a desk to eat on. She would sit between the bed and the table and cry. You're listening to Remembering Vilna, the Jerusalem of Lithuania. I'm Eleanor Risa. Chapter 6, The Underground. In this episode, you'll hear the voices of Nisan Reznik, Arya Lipka-Distel, Abram Zheleznikov, Zenia Maleki, and a diary entry by Hermann Kruk. We begin with Mira Verbin whose parents and many extended family members had been killed. Her sister stayed with her deceased husband's family. Mira was living with strangers. One bright day, a Sunday, I went outside to buy something. A young woman I knew from the youth group approached me. She was not from Vilna, she was a refugee. She asked to talk privately and told me about the underground that was being organized, the FPO. Everyone had to have an interview before joining the underground. They accepted only people from youth movements because they were very concerned about traitors, and they investigated who you were. It was not easy to be accepted. When they asked me, I told them I had nothing to lose. In the ghetto, we lived 24 hours a day in mortal danger. There was always uncertainty. There were endless actions. Once we got into the underground, we had a goal in life. Revenge, kill, not go to Ponar. As the manifesto said, not go like sheep to the slaughter. Right away, we started to educate people about weaponry. We were able to buy a revolver. The first revolver was hidden in a pipe in the kitchen. The library of the Mefice Haskala was also a storage place. Between the books, for some of the weapons, grenades and other things, we gathered there at night and practiced. 
לפרק ולהרכיב ולראות. We learned to take a pistol apart and put it back together and to shoot. We practiced in basements, but very little, because we tried to save every bullet. How did we get the weapons? You could try and buy weapons on the black market. It was very dangerous, and it was very hard to get the money. So the best source of getting weapons was to steal weapons from the Germans. I worked outside the ghetto in an armory. There were large storerooms for Russian equipment that wasn't up to the German standards. From time to time, I would swipe some bullets. Each time I took from a different storage unit so they wouldn't notice. They didn't count them. Other people in the underground brought in guns and parts, anything they could take apart and hide on their bodies and in their clothes those special belts for smuggling. There were all kinds of ways. I, I had a long coat and I put the bullets between the liner and the outer layer and you couldn't feel them at all. I was going on luck. I could have been caught. I had to let people in the underground know in advance that I'd be bringing bullets so they'd be prepared. They would secure the gate for me. We had people in the underground who also worked in the Jewish police. They would stand by the gate when I arrived and create some chaos, beating someone else while I snuck through. People suffered for this. I did it maybe once a week, not every day, because it was very dangerous. Once, I brought Soviet-made hand grenades in a nice package wrapped up like a present, and Lisa Magun from the underground came to the gate, and I hugged her as if we were lovers. I passed her the present, and she took it inside. Another way of smuggling in, in the ghetto was the channels of the sewage. Because we had people in the ghetto that have been working in the sanitation in the city beforehand, and we used the sewage of going, smuggling in things in the ghetto and smuggling out, out things from the ghetto. Because we have been collecting books on other Jewish materials from the ghetto, we had some transport. And between the books, they can come over in the city and bring us some weapons. We brought it to Vivolska, and then we re uh, risk our life bringing it in the ghetto. Crook was smuggling books, and we have been smuggling some weapons. So this is the why we built up a quite good arsenal in the, in the ghetto. June 12th. Today the Vilna ghetto was again shaken up. Why? The gate guard in the ghetto detained a fellow with weapons. The detained man opened fire. A Jewish policeman fell, and the ghetto chief, Mr. Gans, shot the shooter who fell dead. The tragedy of the Jewish masses goes on and has already reached the point that not only are Jews attacked, but Jews attack Jews. There were police, Jewish, Jewish policemen, which didn't behave very nicely, unfortunately. They were the privileged ones, and they let it feel as well. Some were bit, I mean, they had 
probably to put on a show or whatever. They had to show that they are devoted to, to the Germans, that they do what the Germans tell them to do. But it was very painful. היו תוקים מכות רצח. מכות רצח היו תוקים לאנשי המחתרת שלנו. לא פעם ולא פעמיים. The police, including our Jewish police, did not just arrest people. They would beat up the underground people, not just once or twice. They knew we had weapons. They knew, and we denied it. That's how it was. Just like there were underground people, in the police, there were police in the underground who would cooperate with the Gestapo. It was a very difficult situation. By this time, the Judenrat, or Jewish Council, had been dissolved and some of its members murdered. The Jewish police chief, Jakob Gantz, was nominally in charge, but as always, the Nazis gave the orders. They periodically told Gantz to round up Jews to be killed at Ponar. They threatened him that if he didn't, they would, and it would be worse. As Gantz tried to maintain control, his relationship with the underground grew increasingly strained. The leaders of the underground were aware of Allied advances and partisan activity in the forests outside Vilna. Some hoped they would be liberated. Everyone was playing for time. They debated their next move. An armed resistance inside the ghetto would have been a suicide mission. The alternative? was risking an escape and joining the partisans, but that would mean abandoning the ghetto and any family members who were still alive. Then, in the summer of 1943, the Nazis arrested a Polish communist outside the ghetto. Under torture, he betrayed a fellow communist who was also the leader of the FPO, Itzik Wittenberg. The Gestapo demanded his immediate arrest. The whole underground, we were all mobilized. I was living with my friends at the center of Strashuna Street, and I was there with 30 people waiting for orders. I got the order to take out the few pistols that we had uh, in, in, uh, under the stage in the youth club. And when I went out from the youth club, I was stopped by Jewish policemen, and they asked me where I'm going and what I'm carrying. Of course, I took out my pistol and I was even prepared to shoot. Luckily, there was Abrashach Voynik, was the representative of the Bund in the command of the fighting organization. He told Jens, you let him go. So they let me go and I went to my post and I gave the pistols. And we have been waiting what is happening. On the night of July 15th, police chief Jakob Gantz and his deputy, Salk Dessler, summoned the leaders of the underground to a meeting, including Itzik Wittenberg. It wasn't unusual for them to communicate, but this meeting was a setup. In the middle of the conversation, Dessler came in with two Lithuanian Gestapo people, and Dessler showed them, this is Wittenberg. 
So they put some irons on the Wittenberg and they tried to take him out from the Judenrat to the gate of the ghetto. Of course, the, the fighters of the partisan organization attacked, take up Wittenberg and run away in hiding. It happened very fast, seconds. They pushed them aside, grabbed him and ran away with him. It was late at night and the police were totally taken by surprise. And then come one of the most terrible nights in the Vilna ghetto. Gens called all Jews, especially the strong men and the Jewish police, when they had a meeting on the square of the Unrat where there was a couple of thousand people. Gans collected all of the thugs of the underworld and made a speech that told them that if in a few hours Wittenberg will not be found, the Germans will destroy the ghetto. The Gestapo called Gens and put to him an ultimatum. Wittenberg has to be delivered. If not, all the 20,000 dwellers will go. The ghetto will be liquidated. Ada, you bring us Wittenberg alive, and this is very important because they said alive, or will liquidate the ghetto. And what Gens told them is like this, you know, as long as we are productive and we are working, the Germans are letting us leave. Now is the question. The, the Gestapo wants him because he's a communist. And if we will not bring him alive, we'll all be sent to Ponari. And of course, these people want to leave. They have been prepared to sacrifice their life and the life of their families for one person. Because it was a communist, and the Gestapo wants him because, not even because he's a Jew, because he's a communist. Gann sent the tough guys to go find Wittenberg and forcefully bring him in. Plus, he got people from the police to go into every courtyard in the ghetto and explain that if Wittenberg did not turn himself in, the consequences would be dire. When the story of Wittenberg broke out, all the cards were on the table. That's when the ghetto was incited against the underground. They asked, do you think it's right that because of one man all of us will be killed? The crowd in the square turned into a violent mob, running through the streets shouting, one or twenty thousand. The ultimatum was that Wittenberg had to turn himself in, and the underground said no. We were all called to our posts. The whole underground was mobilized. The ghetto was on the brink of civil war. The Jewish thugs attacked us with stones and axes in hand. It was horrible. Jews fighting against Jews. I myself guarded the FPO headquarters. I had a grenade in my hand with the safety clip out. A flood of people came. They didn't know who we were, what we did, because not everyone knew there was an underground. 
Your whole worldview changes in an hour. You had always prepared yourself to fight against the Germans and to save as many Jews as possible. But suddenly you are standing in front of a crowd of Jews that has come to attack you. And they came to us and demanded, where is Wittenberg? Give us Wittenberg. Wittenberg was in hiding. I didn't know where he was because it was highly secret. He was hidden in my room. I dressed Wittenberg in women's clothes and it was bright as can be at 12 o'clock and I took him to my room. I left him there. They had meetings in the meantime what to do. We had a dilemma. The command met minus Wittenberg and they started to discuss what to do. The fighters understand if the Gestapo demands the commander of the fighting organization, this means we should start the fight. So we have been prepared for this. Now from the other side, we have the thousands and thousands of Jews what was running over the, the streets of the ghetto looking where is Wittenberg. Let's find Wittenberg. The Jewish leaders of the ghetto came to convince us that we should give up, that we weren't on the verge of liquidation, that it was really about Wittenberg. They didn't convince us. Every few hours, the Germans postponed the ultimatum. Three more hours, then four more hours. We didn't understand the delays. We couldn't read the meaning in their actions. From one side, they could have come into the ghetto and carried out an action. On the other hand, it was clear that they didn't want to come in, that they were very cautious about a battle in the ghetto. After hours of contentious and painful deliberations, the underground deferred to its communist members to make the decision. Sonia Madeska was also a member of the city committee of the Communist Party, come from the city, who she said that decided that we couldn't start the revolt because the <clears throat> nobody will help us. It will be a fight against the fighters from the partisan organization with the Jews in the ghetto. And they went to Wittenberg and they told him that he has to go out. Eventually, Wittenberg was convinced that most of the people in the ghetto would not support an armed resistance. He decided to turn himself in. Who he said to us, look, my comrades have convinced me that the decisive moment hasn't yet come and I have to go. He asked us to take care of his teenage son. He went to Gans and Gans sent him to the Gestapo. Gestapo took him and but next day they found his body, and that was it. On the morning of September 1st, German and Estonian troops entered the ghetto and arrested a battalion of underground fighters. Nearly 80 of them were deported to prison camps in Estonia. 
the underground was decimated, and those remaining agonized over what to do next. We argued about whether we should go to the forest or stay with everyone in the ghetto. The headquarters made the decision that there was nothing left to do in the ghetto. So we began sending groups to the forest. The underground had prepared to fight and then escape through the sewers. Some had even hoped to take the entire population of the ghetto with them. That was a fantasy. It was a dream. Because when we had to go down to the sewerage, we could call only the fighters. Because if we would let in everybody and anybody, we wouldn't be able to move and to go. And some people want to go with us who haven't been fighters in the fighting organization. Girls didn't let them in. And they have had it very much against us. And rightly, that we, we didn't take them with us. No, there wasn't any other, other way. We had only to let in the fighters. My sister refused to go to the forest. I could not convince her. She was too afraid. She told me I could go, but she would not. The Germans were preparing to close the ghetto, and they started sending people to concentration camps in Estonia and Latvia. My sister decided to go there. She said she would manage somehow. She might escape. When we parted, it was terrible. I went to say goodbye before I left for the forest. It was half an hour before I had to depart. She had a sweater that she knitted by herself, and she gave it to me. I didn't want to take it, but she insisted on giving it to me as a keepsake. She said, go ahead, we'll meet again. It will be okay, I'll stay alive. We went maybe to the channels of the sewage, three or four kilometers. No, it took us eight hours. It went down about 250 people, and they go very slowly. If anything happened to somebody before you, you couldn't move. I, I had in front of me a girl. She was the secretary of Hermann Krug, Rochelle Mendelssohn. And she was a weak woman, and she nearly fainted. And I, had to, I took her and I carried her on my, my shoulders the last couple of hours. When we left for the forest, we were a group of 28 or 30 people. They told us to leave on Saturday night, because then the Polish, Germans, and Lithuanians would normally get drunk. We went in pairs, one man and one woman. We left through the back entrance of the ghetto. They opened the gate. We walked on the sidewalk, speaking Polish or Lithuanian, and we did not wear our armbands. You had to carry with yourself if you had some weapons. 
I had only a Colt. This is an American, a big pistol. And I had only about four um, bullets, only four bullets. That was all what I had. I had two grenades, hand grenades, that was all. Now, what is important that they, they don't get wet. If they get, get wet, then you couldn't use them anymore. So you, all the time what you want, you didn't look after yourself. You looked after your pistol or one of the few granites. We had to cross through the whole city to get to the Jewish cemetery. We had some weapons, but not enough for everyone. There were more weapons waiting for us at the cemetery. We had to destroy all our documents and certificates because before us, another group had gone to the forest, and they were captured and attacked outside the city. They had documents with them, so the Germans knew who their families were, and they went into the ghetto and took the families out. So we did not take anything. We come out, we have been wet and exhausted. Luckily, we had support groups. They prepared for us a hiding place when we come out from the sewage. And after three days, they took us out from the city, and we went to the partisans in the forest of Rudniki. We would walk during the nights, and during the days we would hide in bushes or in small forests. At night we would knock on farmers' doors to ask for food. It was not easy because, first, everyone knew that the ghetto was being destroyed, so Jews must be wandering in the area. Second, the Germans were everywhere. We walked for a week, only at night. We finally arrived in a partisan area, a cluster of villages under the Red Army's control. We felt a little freer then. In this episode, you heard from Abram Zheleznikov, Zenya Maleki, Mira Verbin, whose Hebrew testimony is voiced by Rachel Botchin, Nisan Resnik, whose Hebrew testimony is voiced by Claiborne Elder, Arya Liebke Distel, whose Hebrew testimony is voiced by Eddie Portnoy, and a diary entry by Herman Crook, read by John Cariani. Next up, Chapter 7. Liquidation. This special series about Jewish life in Vilna is written and produced by Nahani Rouse and Eric Marcus. Stephen Naren is the executive producer. Our composer is Liova Zerbin. Our theme music is an arrangement of Vilna Vilna, the 1935 song by A.L. Wolfson and Alexander Olshinetsky. The cellist is Clara Lee Rouse. 
Our audio mixer is Ann Pope. This podcast is a collaboration between the Fortunoff Video Archive for Holocaust Testimonies at Yale University and YIVO, the Institute for Jewish Research. I'm Eleanor Risa. You've been listening to Remembering Vilna, the Jerusalem of Lithuania. <laughs>